1 Corinthians chapter 16 today. We're finishing this amazing letter because next week starts our Christmas season, our Advent season. We, we're going to run up to at Christmas with thinking about Jesus from the parables and invite you to that. We'll start next week with hope. But we have to finish 1 Corinthians. We've been in this amazing letter that Paul wrote and I don't know. I Thanksgiving makes me think of memories and all the years of Thanksgiving and turkey and traditions and all those things. And when I started thinking about that, I, I, <laughs> I thought about way back when I was a kid and I got to be, um, I was in college, I'm an old guy now, but I got to go to Princeton and it was amazing and beautiful. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been back east in New Jersey and it's pretty and there's old buildings, but it was really expensive. So I worked in the library and I worked in the library in part because I wanted to get to know all these books and, and know where they were and know where to go and find them. And, and so I would work and it'd be late at night and, and they called them the stacks. It was probably the largest building on campus and I'd be working downstairs and the stacks were amazing because they had all these books and in order to fit them, it weren't, it wasn't just rows of bookshelves. The stacks were these movable things. So they would have all the bookshelves all tightly all together. And then if you wanted a book, you'd have to walk down and turn a wheel to open up the bookshelf so that you could go in and get the book because there were that many books. And and I was always afraid because you'd go in the middle to get a book and you were afraid someone's going to come along and they need a book from, you know, three, three aisles down and they start the wheel on you. <laughs> there are so many books. There are so many Ideas about life, stories of people, ways to think about details of life. There are so many. I was just in one library, but I'll tell you, I was overwhelmed with the number, the sheer number. I know the Bible says of the making of books, there's no end. But the whole idea is that people have a lot of detail. And I think sometimes we can get caught. I'm calling this details and Maranatha because our lives are about Maranatha. But sometimes we get caught in details. And sometimes even as we read our Bibles, we can get caught that way. Life is coming at you and I. There's lots of details, especially, can I say especially spiritually? There's, there's conferences, there's instructions, there's whole bookshelves on Christian living. How much should you read the Bible? How should you read the Bible? How should you pray? How often? What, what should you give? And should you go to church? How often? And oh boy, who should you marry? And, and, and how should your marriage look? And how should you raise your kids? And, 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 and all these things start to press in. And, and so I start to, in my heart, go, man, I've got to learn all these details. There's lots for me to start learning and doing and, and focusing because I've got to figure out how to live this life and how to do it. And I want us today to see Paul's end to 1 Corinthians where he's given lots of instruction and lots of answering of questions. And he wants to make sure you end and think that your life really is about Maranatha. I know when I say Maranatha, some of you are probably like, what in the world is he talking about? Like the 1980s, there was this whole music thing. It's called Maranatha, and some of us grew up on Maranatha music. Maranatha is actually in our text this morning. It's an actual single word, and it means, come, Lord. Come, Lord. That's what it means. Come, Lord Jesus. 
Okay, so in this last chapter, Paul's done his writing. He's handled their issues. He's counseled them. He's ended with the huge impacting reality of the resurrection. And now he's saying goodbye. But as he does, we're tempted even to take this last piece and, and, just like the rest, and principalize and detailize and, and, and try to figure out what we're supposed to do. And I want you to think through and think through how you even read your Bible this morning. Okay, so first we're going to look at details. And I, I just want to walk through with you and, and, and think with you as you read your Bible. This is the Word of God. How it settles on your heart, what you think of it. First on giving. So he starts chapter 16. He says, Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So he starts off, and he's he's he's, he's closing down his letter. He's answering their questions, and he had had something about this question, obviously, about what to do with the collection for the church in Jerusalem. They had this collection going. They were going to give it to the saints in Jerusalem because the, the church in Jerusalem was really poor and really struggling, and it's kind of the mother church. So Paul had a program for them to give, and you could take this, right? Let me just, I'm going to pull out as we go, ways you could start to say, oh, wait, wait should we do this, and should we do that? Okay, there's a command to collect for the saints. Let's have a giving fund for Jerusalem. There's a church in Jerusalem. They're struggling. We should, we should help them. Or, or maybe, maybe what Paul was after here, Paul didn't want to have to do the collection when he came. So he's saying, hey, I don't want to do fundraising myself. I, 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 I don't want that to be the focus of my visit. Or maybe because there's no Paul and there's not a particular church in Jerusalem that we have on our hearts. We expand this and try and figure out some details. Let's have a program for giving. Don't be spontaneous. Make sure it's official. Provide for churches in different countries. I don't know, make sort of derived principle from this text. But the text doesn't end. He keeps going. And when I arrive, Paul says, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I don't want to see you now just in passing. I I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work is open to me and there are many adversaries. Okay, Paul's traveling and he's maximizing his impact as as an apostle. He doesn't just want to say hi to this, this, this church that he's written to. He wants to spend quality time with them, but he says, I don't want to do it right now. I there's good work going on in other areas, specifically Ephesus, where he's at. Okay, what does that mean? So again, I try and say, okay, details, right? I, I, it's nice to visit quickly, but it's better if you're going to visit, stay a while. Be more the European thing. If you're going to visit somebody, stay for two or three weeks. Don't just stay for a couple days. I know my parents, if they hear this, say, yeah, Dax, you come down for two days. I barely get to see you. The Christian thing is to stay longer. Would that be it? 
Or, 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 man, it's great as you see, you could say, hey, where there's good work going on, effective work, he's talking about people receiving Jesus, coming to know Jesus. He's the apostle, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's going around and he's, he's telling people about Jesus. And, and so there's a wide door open. When you're going to do that, there's going to be adversaries. Look, there were adversaries. So really, if you don't have adversaries, then maybe you're not really doing the work of God. There's a principle I could pull out and say, hey, is that true? Or you could say, hey, make sure people know your plans. They'll be more likely to join in your ministry and your passion, your work for the Lord, if you let them know what you're doing. At this point, I hope, I hope, kind of going, man, what is Dax doing this morning? He's just throwing principles at us. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to show you is that people take the Bible a lot. And in passages like this, where Paul essentially is closing his letter and giving them details of what he was doing 2,000 years ago, and we try and spiritualize and principalize them so that I get something that I can say I'm going to do today. And depending upon what you want to emphasize, I can come out with just about what? Anything. (laughs) Is it true? It's not wrong but it might miss the point, right? I mean, here's instruction on a visitor. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. So Timothy's coming to them, and he, he's doing the work of the Lord, and the work of the Lord for Paul there is, is he's thinking about, is it's not unlike what we talk, it's, it's believing that Jesus Christ is the one, but for Timothy, he has a role. He's raising up pastors. He's doing the, the evangelistic ministry that Paul's doing. Paul says, receive him. The focus is on their receiving him. Put him at ease. Put people at ease when they, when they come in the name of the Lord. There's a principle I could pull out. Don't despise people who come. And he said, but, but they aren't Timothy, Dax. Yeah, but it, it doesn't matter, right? If there's a traveling evangelist or it's someone that they're, you think they're working from the Lord, well, then take them in. Here's more. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. So really what Paul writes there is Paul, Apollos isn't coming. I've spoken with him. I, I, I counsel him. So, man, I want to be like Paul. Maybe I should try and push people to visit. I mean, he strongly urged him to come visit. So Paul's making sure that they knew that he tried. You should visit your brother. <laughs> Did you visit your family this week? You should do that. What, you aren't? Well, I strongly urge you. Or, or maybe when you have opportunity, visit other people. There's, there's these things, right? So I guess where I'm trying to go with you, and that you start to see, wait, you can take these pieces of Paul closing his letter and telling them about what he's doing and say, wait, we should try and apply that to everyone. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't. I mean, there are a few general instructions. Here's where they are. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. 
Let all that you do be done in love. I, I mean, that's the one that leaps out maybe as you walk through is act like men. He's not asking women to act like men, right? Let's all act like men. No, he's saying act courageously. The whole idea is it's, it's a non-specific idea. Be watchful is, is always ready because Jesus could come at any moment. You're watching, you're waiting for Jesus. Be, be stand firm in the faith means you are not moving from your trust in Jesus. Act like men means be courageous. Don't 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 hide in the corner. Be standing firm and tall, saying Jesus Christ lives and He lives for me. And 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 do everything in love. There's that response we even read about it in First John four this morning, right? Because we've been loved so much, may that spill out of us. Non-specific, hold fast. That's kind of what he says. He's closing his letter. Uh, this is um, he doesn't say a word about how to do it. So again, I want to fill it in for you. Let me show you how to, how to act like a man. Is that what you do? Is you be a good husband and a good father, and you do these good things that are good. That, uh, uh, do you see where I'm tempted to go right away? I'm tempted to take the general instruction of the Bible, which is keep your eyes on Jesus, and start to fill in the gaps with what I think I think that is. I'm even willing to take the Bible and say the Bible means this, when it doesn't actually say that, does it? Now I urge you, brothers... You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. They have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. I don't know too much about Stephanicus. But I know they're devoting themselves to the service of the saints. That's good. And man, so if people are doing the work of the Lord, people like that be subject to them, says Paul. And so if I'm detail-oriented, I start saying, well, who is that today? How am I going to fill that in? Pastors? Missionaries? People who are doing lots of work for the church? Maybe parachurch ministries? Maybe the Salvation Army? Someone's doing a good work. Come under them. Don't, don't, don't be over them. Don't run away. And, and, and so I start to make a principle out of what Paul's saying. And, and then Paul rejoices over the coming of Stephanus and Fortanicus and Achaicus to recognize people who help Paul. Recognize people who do good things for the church or make sure they're lifted up and give them kudos and pause with me for a minute. Because what I'm doing with you and doing it fast is my, my deep passion for you as a pastor, as a brother, as a friend, that you would be guarded against using your Bible like this. I would see the danger you can fall into with passages like these as we try to extrapolate from Paul and his specific direct instruction to the church at this time of people that he knew he knows Stephanus. He knows Timothy. 
They're people that he is interested in and exactly knows. And so there's two dangers we're falling into and I can fall into and you can fall into. The one is that we wrongly principalize. We wrongly principalize. We make principles because we so want to try and use every single verse because we, we know from other passages in the Bible that all scripture is profitable for rebuke and exhortation and righteousness. And so I think, well, that means this verse has to have a principle that I can apply to my life. And so I take any verse. I can, hey, let's do this. I'll do this. There you go. I'll put my finger down. Where did I hit? Ecclesiastes 12.4. And, and, and I'll just tell, and then I'll draw a principle, a timeless principle that I can apply to your life so that you will be more prepared to be further along in the details of Christian living. Can I say? Baloney. It's a trap. When the Bible says all scripture is profitable for exhortation and righteousness, and it's talking about the Old Testament there, but it can be extrapolated in the New Testament. It means the letter of 1 Corinthians. It does mean 1 Corinthians 15, 9. It means the message. And so when we miss the message and we start taking the little pieces and we try and make, de- we're getting to what I call detail-oriented living. We're trying to, we're getting overwhelmed by the stacks. All the books, all written about how-tos. And it's most of it's just flat out made up. There are ways that people in their own heart and with the passion of the Lord tried to apply the Bible and bless their heart and bless them. They, they did it, but it's not reproducible by you in the same way. One of my favorites is James 3. James 3. I listened to a sermon this week. I was, somebody just gave James 3 on how to overcome the tongue. And he gave four principles to overcome your tongue because your tongue is full of evil. You know the difficulty with that if you know James 3? James 3 says nothing about how to do it. Nothing. James 3 goes and says, your tongue is full of evil. It's terrible. These things ought not to be. Oh, if anyone could like really control the tongue, they would be a perfect person. And then James stops. And so then James stops, and what gets filled in? Whatever I think about how you should get there. Got to be careful, right? That stuff, the stuff after the Bible stops, is not the Bible. It's somebody filling in details. And a lot of times the details are not what the Bible says is true. So when I do that, or when someone else does that, or when we all, because we all want to, we all are, are, are to some degree, are... are are wanting to, to feel like we're understanding and doing what God says because we so want to obey him, and that's such a great thing, that we start to fill in details about how we're going to do it, and then we're going to apply that to everyone else, like you need to do this and do that. We're walking into an area that the Bible is not crazy excited about, if I can anthropomorphize the Bible. So that's the one thing. We wrongly principalize. We, we read what Paul's doing about these very specific people, the very specific things, and we try and pull out what I can do today with whoever I'm going to think is that way for me. And that might not be what Paul even had in mind for you to know. He actually is writing this letter to a very specific church of very specific people. And if you don't understand exactly who he's talking about, then we need to be careful about how we principalize. That's one thing. But the other thing is the detail focus that you and I get into. We want to make a big list of do's and don'ts because we're trying to flesh out and how to obey the Bible. And let me say, the devil is in the details. You've heard that phrase? 
And sometimes when they say the devil in the details, what we mean is, yeah, yeah, it's the fine print. You've got to really watch the fine print because he'll say something. But I'll tell you what, I, I'm taking it another way. The devil is in the details. <laughs> like there's this massive, wonderful message that goes out, and then people try and insert underneath the things that they want you to kind of pull you back in. Watch out. It's called the old bait and switch. Right? Because when you need to be confused or discouraged or torn down, focus on the details. It's almost always about how to get something done. It's fine to say, hey, I, I love my kids, but what you really want to know is how you're doing in that granular daily living. Are you homeschooling? Wait, you send your kids to public school? What, what, what are you doing? Are you doing all you can? Wait, you give your child a phone? What? Technology is evil. Why are you doing that? And you see, with every area, we start to get into the details of what it is that you're doing wrong. And so our eyes get up, oh no, I, I, am I doing that wrong? Is there a better way I should be doing it? And, and so people take what are wisdom issues, which are different for everybody, and they start saying, well, the Bible says, which is not different for everybody. If the Bible says it, I want to do it, don't you? The trouble is, a lot of times, it's not what the Bible says. It's me making a detail list out of a general statement that's true from our Lord. So the devil can be in the details as he starts to pull and divide us over things that aren't necessary to be divided over, over things that are wisdom for you and me or different ways that we play out this amazing story and amazing message and amazing truth that the Bible pulls us into. And could it be that these are details largely? You, you aren't really trying to principalize today that we're reading here in 1 Corinthians 16. Right? They're not magically meaningful to you in some hidden way. The reason they're included here in 1 Corinthians isn't they're necessary for you to try and accomplish. They're the, they're the extra stuff Paul's actually writing to other people about very specific things in their lives. Sometimes when I try and detailize, when I try and principalize, it ends up hurting me because I miss the main point. That's where I'm going. You end up exalting works and exalting yourself and missing the center. You say, well, well, what's the center then, Dax? What's the center? You know, Paul did give details to specific situations that he knew. There was what he thought they should do in different areas. But he never lost sight of this centerpiece. And really, one of the easiest ways to do it is get the catchphrase. There really are catchphrases, and this one's Maranatha. That, let me show you. Because he says this, he says, The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa, together with the church in their house, they send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay, don't try and extrapolate. on a bunch of holy kissing going on. Don't get start wrongly detailed kissing each other. Don't start thinking what Christians do is they greet each other a lot. No, he's just saying the churches that he's at are saying hi to them, right? Hey, the church that I'm at says hi to you. We're all a family. There's no detail to make sure you've done the right thing. And then Paul actually grabs the pen. He has an amunensis or whatever it is, people that, that were writing for him, a secretary writing. And he grabs a pen and he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And he says these couple things. 
If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Oh, Lord, come. Pause there with me. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Literally, the word is anathema. Let him be an anathema. So the key thing in your life, that, that's pretty key, man. If I don't have love for the Lord, let me be accursed. The key thing is, have you received this gift? What's the gift? Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. Because love for the Lord isn't in your service. It's in seeing that your only hope is in him. So we're right there. We say, man, it's anathema. It's heavy and hard and huge. More than any detail, any action, any sin, any wrong. It's whether you've received this Jesus because he's everything. Not some small thing. Everything. Jesus Christ came from heaven for you to get you in your sin and in your lostness, in your wrongness, to die for you and me. Every sin forgiven by his blood shed for us. And this new relationship that I have with God, it's, it's not through the Ten Commandments. It's not through how I do with the details. It's not through my parsing out how to accomplish all these things. It's simply by trusting him. So anathema if you don't receive this. No help for you, even if you're kind and a helpful person and you're giving and you're serving and, and then you're doing all the right things. He has a few more comments. Anathema if you don't love the Lord because he's the only Savior we have. And then he says, Maranatha, because that's what the word means, right? Or Lord, come. Maranatha. This is our life, you guys. This is what we live for right here. Said, oh, that Jesus would come. In fact, would you say it with me? Say it. Maranatha. Go. Maranatha. One more time. Maranatha. Oh, Lord, come. Oh, this is our, our, our hope, our blessed hope. He spent all the letter that you've been to up to this point kind of landing on this reality that Jesus rose from the dead and that we will too. And oh, he longs for one thing, that Jesus would come. I grab the pen, says Paul. If you don't know this Jesus, if you don't love the Lord, oh, you're an anathema. Oh, Lord, come. I, I sure wish we could rescue this from the music brand in the 1980s. Because we need this catchphrase, not the detailed instructions and blueprint that really aren't up to you. It's fine if you do those things. But to miss this is to miss the center. Maranatha, Lord, come. Maranatha, this is our life. Why? Why Why is it this? Why Why is this the word that Paul is going to... Because this is our hope. This is our life. This is our love. Jesus Christ is everything for you and for me. By his stripes we are healed. By his power we are raised. By his sacrifice we are accepted before God forever. In the midst of details done wrong. In the midst of how you should be, but here's how you are. We have a hope. Jesus, come. You know, sometimes, sometimes I gotta watch out. Sometimes in my heart, I'd wanna say, Jesus, come, but not yet. Because I want to clean up a little bit more first. You know, I really, right now, I'm just not really put together as much as I'd like to. Wait a few days, Jesus. Let me get my affairs in order. What a baloney. Like somehow I'm going to have my affairs in order. It's terrible. You're in the basement of the Princeton Library. And it's dark. And you're surrounded by all these books 
and the aisle starts to close in. Do you know what we really want to see? I really want to see the light go on. I really want to see my Savior show up. I don't want to say, okay, let's read a few more of these books. That's why we have in the Bible things like Hebrews 6, 19. We have this. This is my hope. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. My only hope, my anchor, my life is about Jesus. Do you have me? You say, but Dax, how do I play that out? How does it look? How do... We can talk about all those things, but the reality that the Bible is teaching is, do you believe Jesus has you? Because if you do, what's going to spill out of you is going to be things that are good. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. This is our book, you know. The book ends there. That was the last line. It's, he says there at the very end, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. I just want you to see in the last three verses there, as Paul grabs the pen four times, he says, Lord or Jesus or Christ. Man, his focus is on one. It's on Jesus and his return. Grace be with you is not just a happy thought. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. That's grace that doesn't let you go. That when you're messed up and wrong and hurt and alone, when you deserve no help, you have Jesus coming after you. It's that seemingly reckless stuff, you know. The father racing after the prodigal. Love when you don't deserve it with you. And Paul loves them too. He says, my love be with you too also. But even that is in Christ Jesus. That's where he leaves them. Back up me just for a minute, would you? Because we're, we're finishing this whole letter. And you realize how he started. That he wrote this letter to a church that was struggling mightily. They had trouble. And yet he started the whole letter saying to the holy ones in Corinth. To the saints even though they're messed up, and that's really the best takeaway for all of Corinthians, these messed up, sinning, wrong people, and here they are, they're saints because they have Christ. They were divisive, arguing over who was the best teacher, the best preacher. They were making factions. They had sexual immorality in the church. Remember, not good, but they're saints. There were lawsuits going on between them. They were suing each other. Not good, says Paul, but they're saints. They were fighting over whether to get married or not and whether whether it was right for someone to get remarried. And, and, and they were still saints. They were feeling contaminated by eating the wrong foods. But they were still saints. They were rubbing people's noses in their freedom. They were still saints. They were taking communion wrongly, the very body of Jesus. And, and they were still saints. They were just, get your eyes on Jesus, says Paul. Not on whether you get to speak in tongues or say wild prophecies. Just get your eyes on Jesus' love for you. And especially, especially in the wonder of the resurrection. You see Jesus, not only was he resurrected from the dead, he's going to resurrect you too. That's our hope. 
It's not I'm getting every detail right here. In fact, he's talking to a bunch of people who haven't. And he doesn't say, you know what? Come, Lord Jesus, after you clean yourselves up some more. Take this letter to heart. Give me a few more months, and then maybe you can say Maranatha too. No, my hope is that Jesus is going to resurrect me. And if you and I trust in his promise, his simple promise, Christ's promise to you, that he loves you and died for you and forgives you, he will raise you from the dead. It's not just the end here where Paul says, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. It's also the very end of our New Testament. This is the last verse of Revelation. He who testifies to these things, talk about Jesus, says, surely I'm coming soon. And then John finishes the letter, the revelation that he wrote. Amen. What's the last word? Maranatha. Say it one more time for me. Maranatha. May we drive that into our hearts today. May we not get caught on details. May we see the depth and the wonder that are all the voice that we have is that the Lord Jesus might come quickly. He will, you know. And he's our hope. There's 1 Corinthians. At the end of the day, there change, their hope, their life is in the return of Christ. Let's look at our two.